Well, hello, hello again, and welcome to Mondo Rando Radio on MidtownRadio.ca. My name is Randolph J, and it is a pleasure to be back with you once again here as we continue into our second season on the air on MidtownRadio.ca. The premise of this show is a simple one. Each week, we host intimate and interactive chats with some familiar friends and some fascinating strangers about their passions. What could this passion be? Well, from week to week, it could be pretty much anything from restoring classic cars to cultivating orchids to studying the Roman Empire, anything that gets our guests excited gets me excited as well. Now, our guests will be sharing their fondness for the various subjects that help shape who they are, and occasionally they may even share their strategies for dealing with life in general. Of course, any opinions or experiences shared will be unique to each guest and should not be taken as official advice to any particular listeners. So listener discretion is always advised. Today's topic, tap dancing. And today's guest, Stephen Gregg, a bona fide tap dancing expert, having worked as both a professional dancer and dance educator for the bulk of his adult life and then some. So we'll be talking tap for the next hour or so, and if you have any questions at all, please be sure to send them along. You can find us on Facebook under Mondo Rando, two words, and you can find us on Instagram at Mondo Rando Radio. You can also email anytime, radiorando at gmail.com. But for now, let's get to today's conversation with our very good friend, Stephen Gregg. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay, so... It's a long story. I'll explain as needed as we go through. You're assuming I have an hour of material to talk about, right? No, 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 because the topic is tap dancing. Okay. Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, Stephen Gray, I'm going to tell you two things that I haven't told you yet. All right? Uh, We started, the first episode of this podcast was last week, for the season. The first episode of the season was last week. Okay. And we spoke with a gentleman named Nathan Lee, who is a financial planner. The premise of the program is that we talk to people who are really interested in a certain thing, and they explain why they're interested in that thing, and we get other people interested in that thing. So Nathan, despite being a financial planner, his big thing is board games. All right? (laughs) He's a big fan of board games. So after, at the end of the chat, Nathan, I said, uh, so Nathan, what is a um, what is a hobby, a pastime, a, a vocation that, that you've never pursued but have always thought was kind of interesting and what would you pursue? If you, if you could just, you know, just become interested in something, what would you choose? And he, this financial planner, chose tap dancing. Oh, my God. Okay. I know. So he's already... He, yeah, exactly the up, kind of financial planner you want. <laughs> Somebody's working about tactics. So I immediately thought, okay, challenge accepted. So for this week's program, I'm going to find myself a tap dancer. So of course, the first person I contact is Philip Nero, mutual friend of ours. Yes, one of the greatest dancers that I've ever worked with and I've ever met and known. He's a phenomenal guy. He's a phenomenal tap dancer. So yes. the premise is he was going to come on and talk about tap dancing. So I sent him a note and asked if he would like to, you know, join us for a bit of a, a chat and tell us a little bit about his passion for tap dancing. So the message I sent him really reflected that here is what he sent back. Okay. Here's the note I got from Phil Nero. Okay. Hey pal. Cause I had said, I had said, Phil, as the best tap dancer I know, cause you know, I'm blowing a little smoke cause I wanted to do the show. I was like, Phil, best <laughs> tap dancer. So he sent me this note. It said, hey, pal, I'm definitely not the best tap dancer I know, dot, dot, dot. That would be Stephen Gregg. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Blowing smoke my way then. And if you want to talk about praise from Caesar, because you, you will agree, Philip Nero is a tremendous dancer. Yes, I 100% agree. And you are also, and I, I should, in all disclosure, announce that you despite being a phenomenal tap dancer, are also the man that taught me how to tap dance. I taught Phil Nero how to tap dance. You fought, you taught <laughs> Phil Nero how to tap dance, and you taught me how to tap dance. Yes. You clearly you <laughs> taught <laughs> Phil more than you taught me. You were holding back. <laughs> I tried equally hard with both of you. <laughs> well, at any rate, I'm happy to have you chatting with us for a little bit about tap dancing as, okay. as a pastime, as a hobby. 
So Stephen Gray, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, first of all, thank you for doing it. I really do appreciate this. No, no. Actually, when you call, um, I always try. You and you always have a special place in my heart because what your audience may not know is that there's a style of dancing named after you. And I believe it was Chantel Wilson who quoted the term rancing. Well, rancing, yes. Rancing became, I do remember this vaguely. Uh, it, it came out in therapy. I'd forgotten about it, but... <laughs> It's a bit. Of, it became a bit of a craze, though. <laughs> Rancing was there was there was definitely a craze attached to it. Uh, I did a show. I believe it was Oak Oliver. We were doing together. Yes, Oliver. and you were amazing in Oliver. Oh, bless your heart! That was, uh, literally, that was one of the best because you were literally forty years too young to play that role, and you were amazing at that. That is such a kind thing to say. And that is praise. That is, again, that's high praise indeed. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah, so we, they called it rancing because you couldn't call it dancing legally. It's like you can't have a Polish sausage without re- meeting certain requirements of being a Polish sausage. Otherwise, it's just a sausage. So ran- dancing, you couldn't legally call what I was doing dancing. But it had movement. <laughs> it had interest. It had – and it was memorable. It was literally <laughs> – what, what more do you need? What more do I need? Well, I will say this, though. Uh, when Nathan asked me about tap dancing, I thought, I absolutely want to talk to a tap dancer because I, I know, and we both know a, a lot of dancers. And I am so glad that it ended up being you because Stephen Gregg was and still is a teacher at Sheridan College. And Sheridan College was, when I was going there, well-renowned as one of the greatest theatrical scholastic institutions in existence. Um, uh, there is not uh, there's not a show on Broadway there's not a place in the West End there is not a cruise ship afloat that doesn't have a Sheridan grad on it or in it it's very true it, it, it was an incubator for a lot of amazing people who went on to have pretty great careers yeah and a lot of people who turned into veterinarians and dog walkers and <laughs> but I do still think the skills you learn at that school translate to all walks of life. They really do. They I really do. Stand up and deliver a monologue. If you can get through a Rod Maxwell delivery class, that is going <laughs> to serve you well in later life, no matter what you choose to do. It, you know, it was it was a magical time. But uh, when I started at Sheridan, I had never danced before. And uh, you and the faculty at Sheridan were so patient and so kind, uh, not just with me, but with other rancers out there. And TAP was one of the classes. Now, we should, I guess we should back this up a little bit. At Sheridan College, back when we met each other, you were teaching several dance classes, jazz, which is another popular style of dance that the kids are crazy about. Uh, ballet, you didn't teach ballet, did you? I did not teach you all ballet. No. You did not teach ballet, but you did teach tap. I did. Now, tap as uh, w- let, let's start at your beginning because you're the you're the you're the person of interest, as the cops would say. You are the person of interest right now. <laughs> what got you, Stephen Gregg, into tap dancing? Was tap your first form of dance, or did that come later? How did how did you start? It was my first. So my sister danced since since she was four. She's a year older than me. So I remember going to her recitals when I was, you know, six, seven. And I was like, I can do that. I just (laughs) knew I was like that little kid in chorus line. I knew I could do that. And so at eight years old, I, my parents agreed to let me try classes. They, I got a used pair of tap shoes and and right off the bat, I really liked it, and I was really good at it from the from a very young age. So yeah, that's what that's what started it. I just knew I could do it, and I started when I was eight. And then I got my first professional opportunity when I was fifteen. Okay, that's early. That's very young. Yeah, I got recruited young. I think I mean I was good, but I was also a boy, which are harder to come by. Like a good boy dancer is harder to come by. And, so well, now you should say what city are we talking? What decade are we talking here? So we're talking, you want the decade too? <laughs> is, this, is this a story that in my mind is in black and white right now? Or <laughs> No, it's not. But it's not the full color HD we have now. Let's just, okay. Let's just say it was the city of Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. And it was the previous century. Okay. It was the 20th century. <laughs> 20th century. Very good. But it was. I was young. It was like, I can say I can start dancing in the 70s. I can 70s. say. Oh, well, okay. 
Yeah. Um, and then my first professional there, I got recruited to be what was the, the What was the first professional gig? What was the gig? So it was National Tap Dance Company. Mm-hmm. I got, I went to take class with them. We went to see their Christmas show at the St. Lawrence Center. My mm-hmm. family went. And then my sister and I went to take class at their school. And we did it for like, a, like half a year. And we're like, oh, you know, that's thanks. That was great. And we went on to something else and they called my parents. They wanted me back because they wanted me to, I guess, train to trade up in their company. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you say, that was back when it was, you were definitely a unicorn in the sense that you were a male tap dancer who enjoyed yep. tap dancing. Yeah. And I've always, I've always liked dancing. I've always been, uh, yeah, it's a job. I mean, it's work to be good at it. It's a lot of work. I put in a lot of hours to be good, mm-hmm. but, but I always liked it. It changed the course of my life doing it. Now, when you were a young, as you say, you were a young person, uh, and you, you got into it because you watched your sister, uh, yeah. I suppose much as, uh, I, I think Fred Astaire and his sister were closer in age than you and your sister were. Were they not? You well, think? My sister and I are a year apart. Oh, well, they couldn't have been then. No, that's, I mean, we were, we were very, we're like, my brother's a year younger, my sister's a year older. So. so, so when you started watching her dance and she's getting the lessons, were you aware of people like Fred Astaire, the Nicholas brothers, uh, uh, Gene no. Kelly, all these guys? No, I wasn't. I, I mean, we, yeah, we had television back then. <laughs> <laughs> but you had to plan your day around it. You couldn't tape things. I was aware of musical movies. Maybe when I was a teenager, not when I first started. It wasn't, um, I didn't know much about it other than the fact that I was watching it. My parents, and they used to take us to see shows too. Oh, good. That's I, really my great. It's very big into theater. So my mom loved theater. So we would go see shows and I just knew I could do it. So tap started it. I took all other dance forms and I, you know, I took singing lessons and acting lessons and that. But well, at least you can, at least Steve, at least you can dance. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord giveth and the Lord giveth away. (laughs) So, do you now let me ask you this do you remember the first show your parents took you to see? Because that's Um, that's shape, that's a shaping experience. I can say that my parents, one of the one of the first shows, it was the first show, they took us to see Richard Kiley as the man of La Mancha. Oh, wow. That's like seeing Zero Mostel and Fiddler on the Roof. That's like seeing um, Robert Preston as the music man. That's huge. To see him. And I think the first dance show I saw, again, this is going to date me horribly, was a tour of Bob Fosse's Dancing. Oh, wow. Came through to the Royal Alex. And I remember seeing that show on stage and those amazing dancers. And all of a sudden, I think that's when I sort of said, wow, that would be very cool to be a part of. I never wanted to be a performer for a living. It wasn't mm-hmm. my, it wasn't my goal or my aim, but seeing that show, I was like, that would be cool to do. Right. Now that, of course, for those who aren't familiar, Bob Fosse's choreographic style was, some would say revolutionary. Some would say he didn't know what he was doing and he just made people do kind of very simple moves. And, and it became kind of a, his, 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 it's very much a signature style. hundred oh, percent. I think that his the way he moved the human body was definitely revolutionary. The steps themselves were, some were new, some were not. But I think it's the, the sort of style he gave to it that sort of separated him. Okay. And so now then you, as you moved through, so this is in, in your middle school, you're getting into high school, you're, you're performing with this group. So what, how did you move? When did you realize, I guess, that this was the path you wanted to take? Or did you take other paths first and come well, back to this? Yeah, it wasn't the only path because my parents were not big into my parents love theater. They were not theater parents at all. Oh, good. Okay. They were not stage parents. They weren't really interested. They were proud of me for doing what I did. But it wasn't until uh, I guess I was grade 13 and the tap company offered me full time work to train with them and perform and tour the world with them. And that's right. So that's right out of high school. Well, I wasn't finished yet. I was because we still had back in that day, we still had grade 13. Oh, so you just start. Oh, so you hadn't finished school yet. So I hadn't had not finished school yet. Um, I got offered the opportunity and my parents let the choice be mine. That's great. So I ended up finishing online. Well, not online. They didn't have online back then, but I had carrier uh, pigeons and (laughs) (laughs) it was literally carrier pigeons. But it was through uh, what they used to call correspondence education. Yes. Okay. 
So I finished my grade 13 um, via mail, by snail mail, because they didn't have email back then. Mm-hmm. So by snail mail, I had to do like, I had to do geography, algebra, calculus. Like, thank God my brother is very smart. So he helped me with calculus. <laughs> it's one of those courses you need to be in class for. You can't just read about it in a book. Yeah. So that, yeah, I started when I was 18 full time. Okay. And so yeah. you say you traveled around. Where'd you go? So first of all, I've been to every single province in this, every single province and territory in this country. I think I've probably been to 38 states in the U.S. Uh, The first big tour we did was we were in exchange with China, communist China. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, which was, which was great. We did symphonies around the world, like the Hong Kong symphony. Um, Yeah. So, and and what, what did the show consist of? So they had their repertoire. They had the show that we saw the year before I uh, went to their school. They had a show called The Tin Soldier. Uh, yeah, The Tin Soldier is a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale that they turned into a tap, a two-hour tap show. Yeah. They completely danced. So it first premiered at St. Lawrence Center. Um, I can't remember the year. I guess, 80, no, 79? Maybe 78, 79, because I think I did it in 79. So 78. Right. Um so that was my first show with them, was doing that show. And then, then they had a whole bunch of mixed repertoire. When we used to dance with the symphonies, they had a, um, one of their signature pieces was the, the Brock's, uh, sorry, Bach's Brandenburg Concerto, number oh, three. Oh, very, yes, very good, yes. But so we had a dance to all three movements, which we would do at the live symphony, like Eric Kunzel, the, he's a pretty famous conductor, yes. was a huge fan of the company. So anywhere he would guest we would be invited to go like I've done symphonies and to do a symphony gig where you have a 30 piece symphony behind you and 2000 people watching you. And to start there when that's your, when that's your inaugural introduction to show business, you See, must that's have what, that's what everything to be like that. Yeah. Everything must be downhill. <laughs> since then. Yeah. My first theater was like St. Lawrence center. And then we played the national arts center on that same gig. <laughs> wow. And then in 16, we got invited to go dance at the Met in New York oh, city. Wow. The opera house. With full limo service, hotel, <laughs> all that. So you think, oh my God, this is the business. Yeah. But that's one small part of the business. Because then that's... the company also did school touring, where you change in the gym and you do a show for kids. Well, I was going to say, because that's, that's, that's the gig. That's not the business. The gig was a great gig. It was a great gig in the business. And I learned just as much doing the big posh gigs as I did doing the school touring, doing the other shows and it made you appreciate that I do the same show for a thousand dollars that I do for a hundred dollars. Great. I don't, I don't, and I know people, I have friends who judge their performance according to how much money they're making. Well, and they judge the performance of others based on how much money they think they're making. Exactly. So, so that was the start of it. And it just went from there. It wasn't really my intention to make it a career. It was at the time it was an opportunity. I danced with them from the full time from 18 till I was about 24. All right, that's a, that's a healthy chunk of time. That's a chunk of time. And I was, at the time, I was sort of done. I was ready to go back to school to do something different. And then I got another opportunity from our lovely friend, you know, Carol Forrest. Of course I know Carol Forrest. So Carol Forrest and her partner at the time, they asked me to, originally was to, I guess, come and swing one of their jazz shows. It was their jazz performance shows. And then they asked me to actually be in the show for the summer and then to work with people my own age on something like that in a commercial venue changed, again, changed the direction of my career. And, and then what was your next step? So once I started gigging with them, then I entered the, uh, what they call the freelance world <laughs> where you go and it, it truly is gig world. Yeah. So, but Carol and her partner were, they sort of introduced me to that from there. I get into like the corporate world where you're doing gigs for corporate, which is where the money is. It is where the money is. It really yeah, is. So I probably did that for, cause I juggled the tap company. I stayed with the tap company while I was gigging for the, for, I guess another year until I did. I think I freelanced for maybe six years doing a lot of corporate um, stuff with good money and bar gigs and 
all those sort of weird gigs that just sort of build your character, like the good, the bad, mm-hmm. the ugly, all that sort of stuff. It, it, it teaches you the kind of person you are. And you're fortunate to have started at the professional level. So your ethics are already They're already there. Place. You already know how to work. You know how to do a good show. And even in less than ideal circumstances – you make the show work because Ooh. you're being paid your money to do it. So, and then my next long-term gig, I, when I was, I think you all knew I was at Lacage. So I backed, I back up danced at Lacage for all the fantastic drag queens, celebrity impersonators. I did that for almost, I think I did it for off and on for five years. Which is, which is for those who are tuning in, that's a long slog. Like that's not, people did not do that for five years. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm the kind of, I'm a lifer. I'm, when I commit to something, I'm like, I'm committed. I'm staying. I'm staying. Um, so I did that. But also in that same time, towards the end of that, that's when I got the Sheridan offer. When I got okay. off, the to offer. I, yeah, I think I was 30, 31 when I got approached to come and teach there just to, you know, to teach jazz and tap there. And then the year later, they asked me if I would take over his head. So that's sort of my teaching career because I never thought I'd be a very good teacher. Really? I, no, because when I was younger, I didn't have the most patience for people who weren't very good. I was a little bit, well, I think because I put so much work into being good that I didn't understand people who didn't put as much work in as I did. Yeah. So it took me a while to be, um, to learn that everyone has different gifts and if dancing is not your gift, like I think Sheridan taught me that. There were people who were great actors, great singers who maybe weren't the best dancers, but I still got a lot out of helping them be whatever they could be. Well, we got a lot out of use. I tell you, I graduated, I'm proud to say, as a triple threat to no one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I have to say, you say you 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 didn't think you'd be a great teacher because you you embody what a teacher, in my humble view, I haven't had I haven't, I'm not an academic. I haven't spent my life in school, but of the teachers I've had, I can't think of a more patient and lovely human being than yourself but i i appreciate that but i learned that i probably learned that at the college from teaching the different levels of dance because as Mm -hmm. you know sheridan has levels for kids who have danced since they were four and people who learned how to dance when they walked in the sheridan doors right for those who who yeah they had uh, there was level one for the profession like the people that were ready to college is just going to slow me down i'm all ready to to hit the college stage uh, and then they had level two for the people who were aspiring to be level one, yeah. who wanted to work their way up. Yeah. And then there was level three for everyone else. And myself and a handful of others very nearly pioneered a level four or at least a level <laughs> 3B. <laughs> well, the level three, it fluctuates year to year and it's it's more geared towards – just, just don't, just don't, don't, don't let them fall off the stage. Like let them, <laughs> let them find a graceful way to fall down. Yes, that's true. That is true. However, you I know you've done shows for me because when you did shows for me at um in Coburg. Yes, yes. Because you did Oliver, but didn't you also did we also have like the a fundraiser? We didn't do that one off show. I can't think what it was. Uh, yeah, we did something, yes. I believe we did. To and you, had to, the, you had to be in those you you were in the blocking, you were in all that sort of stuff. I well, mean, but Sheridan, but that's the thing about Sheridan taught you how to it was a it was a trade school in the sense that if you're a plumber, maybe you are great at working on toilets, you don't like working on sinks. But if you're going to be a plumber, you have to work on sinks. And yeah. Sheridan taught me that it's all toilet. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sheridan <laughs> taught me that if you're going to be able if you're if you're if you're going to call yourself a professional professional you have to yeah. be able to do it whether you do it well yeah. or you do it to the point where you're going to be in the front row or the back row that's beside the point you have to at least be able to do it you have to speak the language you have to know the nomenclature you have to understand the yeah. ethics and the but i will say about your dancing is the fact that you actually moved and grooved within blocking and got paid for it which makes you having danced on a professional stage yeah and well and it's not just about me i mean we're talking about a lot of your students this is not just me by any means 100 percent. and some people some people we taught from scratch that maybe we're always supposed to be dancers and i mean there's one uh, are you gonna cut names out but i can tell you that we don't have I to mean, cut it out if, it's, if you're saying something positive we won't cut the names out no, but I'm saying someone like a Phil Nero who came in as an amazing jazz dancer and a great acrobat. Mm-hmm. He had never had tap before, um, but he was a worker. He wanted to get good at it. it there was frustration him because he, he, he wasn't 
he wasn't used to being a beginner again. And it's hard to go back and learn from the bottom, but he did the work and he ended up tapping on a professional stage. Mm -hmm. So we have people like that. It's, but as you know, I mean, to get good at anything, it takes, it takes effort and practice and you need to have, you know, a little aptitude and a little bit of, yeah. You need, you need humility you and you need humility. patience and, uh, and, and guidance as well. And you, yeah. And Sharon was really great about guidance as far as yeah. where you wanted to go. And, and I mean, cause, and you're still teaching there. Don't let's, for those who are tuning in, I graduated from Sheridan, uh, in 1997. Oh, wow. That, so that was a while ago. And I do remember I was the only person to show up for my diploma because everyone else was working on a cruise ship that year. Okay. So it was just me. <laughs> representing. <laughs> representing. Well, you're representing, yeah. But I, I, I can say that Sheridan College is still a, a very highly regarded and respected institution. Uh, not just for TAP or, or for dance and job, but for the entire yeah. the entire. St- School, like whatever department you're in, animation, illustration, it is media. A, yeah, it's got a lot of really, great stuff happening there. Yeah. Yep. I still I'll teach there. I know you do. Okay, so let me ask you this. As a teacher, yep. uh, are you you are are you still performing? Do you still enjoy tapping just as a as a performer? Do you No, I do not perform. If I can possibly avoid being on stage, <laughs> I go out of my way. The, my last professional show was I was probably 40, I think 42 when it was actually the tap company had us come back. We did a bunch of gigs for them after they dumped us. They brought us back because we were the core of us. There's a, there's a, a small core who actually know the original material that the guy who choreographed it has since passed away. He passed away about seven years ago. So if there's no one to, so yeah, so I did that a while ago and then Carol and I ballroom danced. We were competitive ballroom dancers for a number of years. I think I remember this. Yes. Yes. I'd always wanted to learn how to, again, I have a huge um, affection for all dance. So I think when you're doing like corporate shows and you're doing one night of gigs and they're like, we're going to do a cha-cha. So they do like the corporate (laughs) cha-cha, which is, (laughs) which is kind of fine. I wanted to learn how to do real ballroom dancing. Mm -hmm. So Carol and I did ballroom dancing. We competed for, I think three years. We got a chance to be part of the opening act when the ball dance with the stars tour came through at the ACC. I I remember this vaguely. So, okay. So tell us, so you were called on to the dancing with the stars Oh, our studio that was, I guess, affiliated with them, they said they want, they needed, um, I think it was like eight or nine couples to come and be part of the pre-show. Right. So Carol and I got asked if we wanted to do it. We weren't allowed to dance together. Why not? I don't know. They wanted us to dance with two of their instructors. So I did with professional instructors. It's very much like the military. Friend, they, they split friends up. They don't want you hanging out with your buddies. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, so we, we did that. We did that for a couple of years. And... Yeah. So I don't perform. I still, I still enjoy teaching. I tap more than enough to satisfy any urge that I have. <laughs> I, I tapped, I started teaching this morning at eight in the morning. I finished at four today. So that is enough tapping. I do that Wednesday and Friday this year. <laughs> and to so teach I, it, you I, must demonstrate it. You can't just, oh, you can't just still, stand at the end of the room. The, the days of standing in the corner of the room with a pole and slamming it up and down on the floor and saying, dance. Those days finish with fame. Yes. <laughs> I am still, I am still, my skills are still very good. I keep them up. I stay in shape. Um, yes. I still have to demonstrate. I still am fully capable of doing it for another, I don't know how much longer, but well, another, no, Hey, how long did Sammy Davis Jr. Dance? Yeah, but he kind of shuffled towards the end. But dancing is dancing. You're carrying the music within you, Stephen, just because you can't do... The Nicholas Brothers couldn't jump off, you know, stairwells when they got into their later years, but they could still dance. Janet Jackson still had them in a music video. True, but then if you think that's the case, then you should give more credit to Rancing then. <laughs> well, Rancing, I can do. I can I can rance until like well after I'm dead. I can still rance. You know, I want to do. Know. I want to be teaching dance as long as I'm fully capable. When I start looking like George Burns dancing, okay, <laughs> it's time to say, Stephen, you should just shuffle off in the sunset. So I got a couple more. If I stay in shape, I got a couple more good years of teaching because especially teaching beginners, you need to be able to do it because they need to hear it and they need to see it over and over and over again, 
over and over again, as opposed to if I get people who've already danced for 20 years. Yeah. I can describe what I want. I don't necessarily have to dance as much, but for the beginners, they need the they need the help and they need well, when the you, well, When you get to the professional level, you're basically just describing choreography, describing what you want, and they can do it. And they really then you could be the guy in the corner with a stick. And you don't they don't need you to do it. You just describe what you want. But this when you're teaching, true. yeah. Teaching and there's 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 learning, there's practice, rehearsal, there's performance. There are four different things. Yeah. And I think tapping too, it's one thing to describe it, but they need to hear it as well. Yeah. So they need to hear a good rendition of the rhythm they're trying to go for. So I still need to be capable of doing that. So. All right. Now, as far as tap goes, for those who aren't dancers or because we think of ballroom dancing, a lot of people when they get to be my age, they do take ballroom dancing is a social skill to learn. You go out and you and you merengue and you salsa and you do all of this great stuff. But tap is a little different because very rarely are you called upon to go out to the bar and do some tap dancing. It's not, it's like ballet. It's like juggling. It's like something you're rarely invited to do unless people know you can already do it. (laughs) This is true. I can tell you, I did a tap number for Rod Maxwell and his wife for their 50th anniversary. I went and did a tap number, like a romantic sort of Fred Astaire tap number at their country club. So I, I got taken in the, you know, you get shuffled in the back way and do your little number and leave. So, um, yes, it is definitely a, I would say it's a bit of a niche skill. It pops up. People, people love tap dancing. They do. They love watching it. They love listening to it. It doesn't happen a lot. I know that I saw a musical called something rotten on Broadway. Well, that was based on, uh, it's kind of uh, isn't it something about in old and Shakespeare days back in the days of Shakespeare. There was someone else trying to. I'm, I've never seen the show, but it's something about bootlegging off the ideas of Shakespeare and trying to make so their Nick own B- play. Nick Bottom wrote the musical called Omelet. That's right. That's right. Which is based. So, but it was a tap based musical, and the tap was brilliant. And the two, I think, the two lead guys I saw, the Shakespeare and the Nick Bottom guy, brilliant tappers. I think any show needs a tap number. I think that some of Shakespeare's greatest tragedies would have been less tragic with a tap number. Yeah. Um, I like, I like seeing tap in a show. I like seeing good tap in a show. Um, as I said, when it pops up, you know what I think brought it back in popularity was happy feet. Oh yes. With the penguins, with the penguins, just because again, and people, I mean, the movie was adorable, but I think putting tap with penguins it just showed that there's still a continued interest in tap and there are still people out there right now who are dedicated to preserving tap, advancing tap. I just saw great, I'll give a little plug. I saw a company run, co-run by a, a girl named Alison Toffin, who is a great tapper. And I went to see her show. She was developing a show. It's with five sort of younger people, maybe late teens, early twenties. And it was very topical. It was about basically being inclusive with each other and what kids are going through these days. Totally told through tap. Oh. And it was one of the best things I'd seen in a long while. And the tappers were obviously, the kids were great tappers, but the story they told and the emotions they were able to convey warmed my heart for that because you're thinking there are people out there continuing on with tap because there's a market for it. 100%. Well, and in the same way that there's a market for bagpipes, and I, I say that no, I say that with love because oh, as a tap as a tap dancer, I would argue that of the dance forms that are out yeah. there, tap would be to a musician. I think because you can hear it, it's the most musical of the dance forms. I mean, you can do a great salsa, a great merengue, a great yeah. waltz, but if you've got your eyes closed, you can't you can't embody it the same way as tap because it's a percussive yeah. you're listening as much as you're watching. If that's I what think I'm trying so to too. Say. And that's why when we get kids in the school, I have one kid, I'll give him like a shout out. His, his name's Emery Tupper. He came into the school, no dance at all, but he's a drummer. So he picked up tap really liked tap. And now he's gone from level three. He's now dancing in a level one tap class. Fantastic. Because he just he just took to it. I think that it 
it doesn't, you know, nothing appeals to everybody. You can't please everybody. But I think the tap, it gives you visual stimulation and auditory stimulation. I think that's why it's a dance form. When people start tapping in a show, the audience, you can just feel the energy lift 5% because they just, they just love it. Yeah. Well, and, and you have to pay attention. Tap is something that you have to stop what you're doing because, God forbid, you should make a noise and disturb the sound that you're hearing. 100%. So people have to, and if you have to be quiet, you might as well watch what's happening on stage. And you yep. look at, you look at the old films of, and I mentioned the Nicholas brothers before, but people like uh, Bill Robinson and Fred Astaire. Film, I've never seen the Nicholas brothers and the stuff that they did, their acrobatics and their splits and coming down the stairs. It was just like, if, if you've I've never, never seen, seen it, the life of it, never if seen you, it. If you've never seen it, you would swear that that was the last thing they ever did on stage because they would have to be wheeled out of that building. Yeah. And they did it for years. For years. For years. And they weren't, by the time they stopped doing that sort of act, they were not children. No. So they, they kept doing the splits and the jumps and the tricks. And they were, I remember seeing them, obviously seeing Gene Kelly, watching him dance because he was like a dude guy dancer was great. Um, some of the, the gals there, I remember seeing... Um, Eleanor Powell, but also... Ann Miller does not get enough Ann credit. Ann Miller, the one who used to dance on the luggage. Ann Miller, I love Ann Miller. And she is one of these great... When you watch old movies, I'm a big old movie fan, as you may know. Yeah. When you watch these old movies, some faces pop up over and over and over again. And they, you, they're not household names. And it's a shame. Yeah. Because yeah. people like Ann Miller, uh, just spectacularly fun. Jules Munchen, another one. Like, just yes. these people that are really excellent dancers and... Hoofers, as you may say, just get out yeah. there. Jimmy Cagney, for crying out loud. Some of his old stuff is pretty, because you don't realize, well, people don't realize that he actually was a very, very good dancer because he's known for other things as well. But so watching some of his dance numbers in those old films were yeah. like, he was amazing. But well, I remember he, um, he, Ann Miller and Mickey Rooney come through on Sugar Babies. Sugar Babies, yeah. So they were, again, they were older then. But to see legends like that on stage, first time I ever saw, um, I saw Ginger Rogers. Do Live? Sh- you saw- yeah, I saw her do Anything Goes at Theater Aquarius back in the wow. day. And to see Ginger Rogers, and she was, again, no spring chicken, but she was still Ginger Rogers. Mm-hmm. And she had her big number, I guess, maybe it was Blow Gabriel Blow or something like that. So she finishes it. Of course, the crowd goes nuts. But, but to be fair, like just to be fair, she could have come out and eaten a cheese sandwich and they still would have gone. <laughs> yeah. So people are standing out there clapping, clapping. So she does the number again. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> and, and so people are like, again, rapturous. So she does it again. After the third time, people are like, should we keep clapping? I don't know. Is she going to do it again? <laughs> Maybe she's lost. Maybe she's forgotten where she is. But again, to see, again, because I have such an appreciation for people who who did it for years and worked hard to be good. So to see them live, it was it was pretty, because I didn't see, there's, you know, obviously people I never got a chance to see live, but to see her live in, in, in that show was great. Well, and that's true of, of anyone. I love that your parents took you to see theater when you were a child, because... Uh, as you grow older, you're going to look back at all the different people that, you know, they may not have been names when you first saw them. They may never be names, but the fact that you saw them live, it gives a visceral, it gets into your pores. It, it, it You can feel it. I mean, so obviously, because I'm a talent agent now, I see some shows, I've seen some shows 10, 12 times. But you're going to see new things about the thing and see different people in the show. So there's shows that I, you know, I still enjoy seeing even Mamma Mia for the 15th time. But no, yeah, to see a show live and it's great. Um, it, it, we, we hope that those opportunities will continue to offer themselves to young people and, and people who aren't so young, who can still get out there and enjoy something live. Now, uh, let me ask you as a day, usually this program, the premise of this show is we talk with hobbyists. Okay. So people who are doing things as an, as uh, as an amateur, in the truest sense of the word, in that amateur really means a lover of something. That's from Amare. It's they love something. Uh, Charlie Chaplin once said, uh, "No one ever lives long enough to be anything but an amateur." I kind of agree. We're always trying to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So when you when you think of people who do these things as a hobby, it's for the love of it. But you 
did it professionally. So, uh, and I'm hoping, but you tell me that be honest if you can, or if you want to has, did the bloom ever fade from the rose as far as tap goes? Did you get kind of the point where I've had it with tap? Um, I think because I grew up in a company that was elite tap, the bloom wore wears off when someone asked me to do, I don't want to say, I don't know what it is like dance boy dance. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, like hokey tap. So I don't like that. So I'm a little more reserved about that, but no, it never did. And I think the fact that um, as I wind my career down, it's come back full circle. Like I've done so many other different things, but now I'm back teaching just tap. So it started with tap and it's probably going to like conclude with tap. Like I'll teach, I'm not saying I'm going to, keel over and die in the next whatever you're not going to lie down in the backyard just pull the dirt up over you but the fact that it came back to that was sort of it feels very natural still be doing it i don't think the bloom ever wore off it and i think that the skills i learned to get to an elite level at something carried me through doing other things oh sure all the dedication i know the discipline i know the work ethic it takes to try and get good so I think I learned those from a bit like, as again, I started at 15. So working in an adult world to try and get good at tap, like the hours we used to work, you know, a 48 hour week, we used to wake six days a week, like nine to five. And you'd just be dancing all day to try and be good. And the guy who ran the company was almost impossible to please. Mm-hmm. Like at a, that wasn't terrible. It was like, <laughs> So to, to get to that level where you became contemporaries with him and he was a very good tapper in his own right, um, to become contemporaries was a success in, its, in itself. So it never really, the bloom never faded on me for that. I've always been very appreciative that a little pair of used tap shoes sort of colored my entire life. It changed, like I wouldn't have been in the business. My job, my career, I wanted to work at a bank. I wanted to be in... Um, finance and this changed the trajectory of my life completely you you do recall at the beginning of this i told you that the whole reason i'm talking to you right now is because a financial planner who has a a deep dark fascination with tap (laughs) but that's what i'm saying that could have been me with who someone and because i'm again i'm very good with numbers and i loved accounting and all that sort of stuff so my plan my best friend and i in school we're going to go to university for like finance and this changed the trajectory. It, ch- it changed the person. I like. I would have been still the same person, but it. I wouldn't have been the same. I would not have been the, had the same life or the same. I would not be the exact same person without having been in the business and been a performer and a dancer and all that sort of stuff. So, right. so if so, if you, I guess, if I to paraphrase you, if you were to take a thread from the tapestry of your life, some threads you may take out and some you may leave, but tap is a is a is a load bearing thread. Oh, one hundred percent. It's it literally, and it's funny because I'm actually getting together on this Saturday night with some of my old tap company people. There's one guy coming up. He's very big in the tap scene right now in Chicago. His name's Lane Alexander. Very big up there. I have not seen him probably since the eighties and we danced together for a few years in the company. So we're doing a little mini reunion. There's, I think there's going to be eight of us. Um, it's definitely a thread through my entire life. I have friends that I've had since I was a teenager that I, that have carried through just because we spend so much time together and dance together. So it's, it's a thread throughout. I am known for tap. Even though people like, I don't, I could walk into a room and people think that I'm going to be amazing because they've heard about me. <laughs> and you're like, when you can walk in with like that sort of, you're like, no, it's a little bit of pressure, but it's also really nice that you've worked for that reputation that I am a good tapper. Oh, you've, you've certainly earned it. And, and as, as I said off the top, Phil Nero is not a guy to just shower praise on you without merit. Uh, and if he thinks you're a great tap dancer, just take my word for it. You're, you must be. <laughs> Again, Phil is one of my better success stories, teaching tap, because I taught him elite level tap and he learned it in three years, which is pretty quick. 
No, let me ask you this. Uh, so you you have mentioned I I mentioned this only because you've mentioned it when you say that it you know there comes a time in every tap dancer's like it's it's like professional football or any any physically demanding yeah. pastime or job or occupation. Uh, what do you foresee in the in I don't want to say your your golden years, but let's say your early autumn. My early autumn, that's assuming it's not already here. My early autumn, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I mean, as I, I was talking to someone else at lunch today, fellow teachers, I actually do enjoy working. I enjoy still being able to teach and, and obviously still be an agent. I would love to, my autumn years, like I love to play tennis. I've taken up golf. Golf is, again, a bit of a side hobby that I'm not very good at yet, but I will get better. Um I'm looking forward. I always think what resonates with me in retirement is Tina Turner. When she retired, not because she couldn't do it anymore, but because she had earned enough that she could live a lovely lifestyle. She went, I did my journey. I'm, I made it through. So if I can get to that point where you've done everything, that's why I stopped performing. I sort of done everything I wanted to do and I was ready for a new challenge. So I would love to just relax that'd be nice after all these years to i don't i don't i have no idea what my autumn is going to look like hopefully it's going to be i'm going to be healthy and active and i don't know and still chatting on zoom well what's so interesting to me well a lot of things are interesting to me but the the fact that when i when i knew you on a daily basis you always seemed to be a person that just carried joy with you wherever you went and whatever you were doing so it never you never struck me as a person who pined for the days when they were on stage it wasn't some kind of uh you were you weren't blanche dubois <laughs> thankfully i was not blanche dubois no, literally, I am very much, I mean, obviously, I have huge um, affection for the past and all the stuff that I did, all my accomplishments and that. Um, it's going to be nice to get together with these people that I have known like 30 years, more than 30 years. But my whole thing right now is I try to find a little joy in what I'm doing, even if it's not a great day or a great job, trying to find a little enjoyment. Even if I make my little side jokes to people and nobody gets them, I get them. Hey, you're and, talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> you make your little jokes, you have a little fun. If I can go to finish the day and have enjoyed myself a little bit, even though, you know, it's still, I'm still responsible. You still want to do work, but if I can have a little bit of fun and, and today I got to like dance all day. So I felt physically great because you know obviously little endorphins kicking in those little happy penguins so i have that i get to talk with you which is like literally when you email me or you messaged me last night i was like oh my god just to, again you and i don't talk we don't talk each other all that often we don't see each other but i always have enjoyed because because you are another one of those guys that just you always are first of all you're very funny you're witty. You always have a you always have a little aside, a little comment, and it's just one of those things that if the world had more of those people that could see the humor in some of these terrible things or not so great things, I think we'd all be a little happier. So if I can have a chat with you and have a few laughs, why would I not do that? That's that's really nice to hear. I, I have to ask you um, now because you're, you're talking about because yeah whatever you do wherever you go if you can't physically do your particular thing if you can't tap for the rest of your life you that is something that you have seen coming you know that's coming you know it's not something you can do forever it's not it's not a permanent you are going to outlive your ability to tap dance we hope you know but the fact that you do have such a positive attitude and there are a lot of other things that you that you can find joy in i want to ask you two things first of all one is for someone that's just looking to get into well we can say dance as a broader term but tap specifically because tap is a very specific thing what yeah. would you what would you suggest i would say if they want to go take a tap class go take a tap class yeah I would say, and again, you don't have to commit to tap shoes. If, as long as you wear like hard-soled shoes, like dress shoes, yeah. you have the same picture, the same illusion of tap before you invest money into tap shoes if you just want to try it once. Yeah. I would say Metro Movement, 
try a tap class and see what you think. Because yeah. if you never do it, you've always you've done a class. If, if you're your financial guy, go take a tap class. Why wouldn't he do that? Yeah. But as you say, when you're an adult and you're trying, so when you can find, if you can find a studio, if you can find a school to teach an adult something that seems silly, maybe seems like something a child would take, but can take it seriously enough that you can enjoy yourself, but not so seriously that you have to be great. I mean, it's funny. I was talking, you remember talking about Carol Forrest. So I saw her and I saw her on the weekend um, she teaches, she's very, as you know, she's very into her fitness. So she's a full-time fitness teacher now. And she had a group of ladies, um, who wanted to take a dance class. They said, can we do like a dance class? So Carol said, well, if you get 12 people to sign up, we can put it on the schedule. She teaches for the city of Whitby. 15 ladies signed up for a beginner jazz dance class because they want to take a dance class. I think a lot of adults didn't get the opportunity to do dance when they were kids. So, and Carol is loving doing it. It's so fun to teach um, people who really want to be there and they would, they'd say they never got to do when they were kids. So they want to do a pivot turn or a Chene turn or something like that. Um, so I think the best thing to do is go and do it. I can tell you when I, when I say goodbye to my career, when it's over, whatever, I will have zero regrets. Right. I would have done everything. I melt those tap shoes for everything I could get out of them. Um, and I think that's why when I, when I decided not to perform anymore, I had no regrets. I've never once sat in a theater in the last, say, 15 years and wished I was up there. Right. So it's not as if that, that old, like with trumpet players, the joke is how many trumpet players does it take to change the light bulb? You know, two. One to change the light bulb, one to say how they would have done it. <laughs> and yeah. imagine dancers are <laughs> yeah no i mean i still obviously i still have a critical eye sometimes and sometimes i do you know speak my mind but but i'm very happy to watch other people do it i don't have the desire to be up there and yeah that's i mean i just i think i but when i decided to stop that and move to a different facet of it i'd done what i wanted to do and everything else was sort of getting a little repetitive so I just thought I'd go out and I didn't also want to be there five years too long when they're like, oh, wow, he's, oh, he's auditioning. Really? <laughs> Stephen's still on stage. Hey, eh? wow. Good. Uh, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> because you know what that condescension. Well, that's what I mean. And I think the, the business can be a little, um, a little rough on dancers. They do have, you know, an expiration date and people who love it, they always want to do it, and there's not always a place for them as they get older, which is a shame. It is a shame, and you know, I'll tell you the that those um, those stereotypes of a dancer's shoes being filled with blood is they're not exaggerations. People really, yep. really work hard. I've actually permanent blood stains. Not anymore. I'm my feet are so they're like tough old leather shoes. I don't I don't have that. But when I was breaking in the shoes, I used to bleed and they would, it would obviously would just stain the leather and you just have blood stained shoes. And you're like, okay. It's a badge of courage, my friend. Well, that's, I mean, I worked hard for those. Right. My other big question before I let you go. And so, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's last minute, but um, I really appreciate you taking the time. And the, the premise became, I, I asked at the end of the last show, my friend, Nathan, who is in uh, financial services and, I asked just out of the blue, I said, you know, what hobby, if you hadn't taken up board games, because that's his, that's his pick of, you know, that's his choice to do board games. I said, if you hadn't fallen into board games, is there another hobby that you've never done before that you'd be interested in trying? And he, without really stopping too long to think about it, said tap dancing. So I have to ask you the same question, Stephen, Greg, if you could just, you know, tomorrow you decide, you know, I'm going to take up a new hobby. Someone says, Stephen, you know, you got to lay low for a while, find a hobby. What would you, what would you want to learn more about? And we're going to find somebody next week to, to walk us through what that life is like. Well, as I said, during pandemic, I bought myself golf clubs. <laughs> um, so I am working on that. That's sort of a hobby that I'm not completely passionate about, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy right. it. So I'm better, but a hobby I would love to do. Hmm. I cannot think of one that I'd love to do. Honestly, I can find a golfer. It's fine. <laughs> I 
kind of jump in on like I always it's like when I went to I want to take a school course I went to take a Yale University course online I'll just jump in and I'll just do it I will go but golf is the one of the ones that because I golfed when I was younger but my dad was a very good golfer but not the most um patient teacher so so I kind of got away from it. Then I, I've done a little off and on. So that for sure. Another hobby I would love. You know what I'd love to do? What? I would actually like to write a book. Oh, well, why not? I know. Why not? It's, again, it's having the discipline to actually sit down and go and start. So have you, are you a writer? Do you do a journal every day? Do you, do you write short stories? It's all in my... Like I can spin a good story. I have a ton of good stories. I can't probably write them because I can't put the truth out until I'm dead. But a story along, I don't know. I feel like I have a book in me for some reason. I don't know what the book is though. Yeah. I don't have, um, yeah. But I've, I've, I've taught about that and I thought when the pandemic hit, I had did have time on my hands. I started to write down ideas on what I would want it to be about and that. So, But then I put it away when I got back to work, so. Well, the interesting thing about writing, as far as I can tell, because I've never written a full book, uh, the, the two things are there's there's a I forget which newspaper it was, but it used to have a famous uh, over the under the clock. It was you know a newspaper, so they had to write to the time, yeah. and it, was, it just said on the on the a big banner it said, "Don't get it right, get it written." Oh, okay, right. So just, it doesn't matter if it's going to be perfect. And the other bit of advice is that the first draft of everything is terrible. So there you go. There's, that's a, that's actually great advice to just just start going. I should do that. All right. Okay. Well, I tell you what I'll do. I'm for next week. We're going to have either. Okay, it's going to be again. I'm going to get either a golfer or a writer uh, that is a hobbyist in those directions, or even a professional. Who knows? Who knows who we'll get. But uh, Stephen Gray, I really appreciate you joining us uh, on Mondo Rando. You know, it's called Mondo Rando, which literally, literally, that just means extremely. Uh. <laughs> you put your own stamp on it. Uh, I'm so sorry the sound is cutting out. I, I, Stephen, uh, Stephen Gray, thank you so much. Any 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 last words you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, no, I thank you. You're one of my favorite people, Randy. I wish we did see each other more often because you are literally. Um, so what's, it's like an albatross, a rare bird in the world because you, you're like, you're successful and you're inspirational, but you also do like weird things like this. And you're just, you've always carved your own path, which I think is amazing. So to spend a few minutes with you is, is great. Ah, that made my day. That's all I asked for. I, we've been here long. If you'd said that in the first 10 minutes, you'd be gone by now. We'd <laughs> be good. Stephen Gray, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Beers on me next time I see you. Awesome. And that will just about do it for this week's installment of Mondo Rando Radio on MidtownRadio.ca. My name has been Randolph J, and it's been a treat to be with you. I hope you enjoyed the program, and I hope you're able to join us again next week when we bring you another fascinating guest to talk about their passions. In honor of Stephen Gregg, I'm going to do my best to try to find uh, a writer or a golfer. No promises, but I'm going to see what I can't manage. Uh, and of course, uh, speaking of Stephen Gregg, I want to send a very special thank you to you this week for taking the time to be with us and to share your love of tap dancing and all things tap. So thank you, Stephen. Stephen and I go way back. It's always a delight to spend any time in his presence. Thanks also to Philip Nero. So Phil Nero is the one who I first approached and uh, suggested that Stephen was the guy to talk to. So Phil, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. And of course, thank you to Nathan Lee, who suggested the tap dancing program in the first place. Nathan, you're a great guy. Thank you so much for uh, sending that suggestion along. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you're able to be with us next week. And if you'd like to touch base anytime for any reason, or if you have any questions for our guest this week or a previous guest, let me know. Send your questions along. I will make sure they get them. My email address is radiorando. That's radiorando at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just look for Mondo Rando. It is two words, Mondo Rando. And you can find us on uh, Instagram as well. Instagram is the other big one. Our Instagram handle handle is Mondo Rando Radio. So I think that is just about it. I hope you're able
able to stay tuned for more great programming on this wonderful online local station, midtownradio.ca. There's always a lot to look forward to each week, so be sure to check the calendar here on midtownradio.ca. That's it for me. Get out there. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And if you can, please do try to find a little extra time to make someone happy. Bye-bye for now.